Wow, I'm so honored to be with you guys from, uh, from Texas. I will tell you that um, I am not ashamed of Texas. I am one of those very annoying, loves Texas way too much people. And uh, I am convinced that God actually created Texas with the beach that y'all have. And then at some point, because of sin, a hurricane washed it over to Florida. But it actually belongs where I live. I'm going to figure out how to take it back. Just, just kidding. Y'all, y'all have an amazing beach, really. I don't know if you know that, but it's just beautiful. My wife and I came early this week. We're celebrating 20 years of marriage. Yeah. I've been putting up with her for 20 years. It's the other way around. Anyway, thank you so much. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to meet you there in just a second. If you don't have one, I think they'll, they'll put the scriptures up here on the screen for you. And um, I'm really excited to share this sermon with you. I'm going to call it The Intent. The Intent. And I'm pumped about this because a lot of times when you go guest speak somewhere, you'll just kind of re-preach, you know, one of your greatest hits. But this year, Pastor Tim started to talk to me about where your church is and what you're about to do, the big steps you're about to take. He started talking about Love Week, and he said, you're going to come in on the tail end of all that. And he gave me some parameters. And then I sat down a couple days later, and and God just took me straight to this passage and gave me so much. I'm going to have to go really fast because I want to give you everything that God put on my heart. I believe that's kind of my job while I'm here with you. And uh, I just want to say before we dive in, I love, 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 love your pastor so much. I love their willingness to do whatever it takes to reach people. I love their hearts to, to just do whatever it takes. They, they really understand to reach people. Nobody's reaching. You got to do things. Nobody's doing and go places. Nobody's going and they're doing it. And it's so cool to see the fruit of what God's been just doing out of their own passion and their own hearts. And, you know, even just to be here in the middle of all the craziness last year, And then to be here with you about a year later and see what God has done is just amazing. And I want you to know you really are who you are as a church in part because of the thinking and the wiring of this amazing couple. That's kind of how God does it. He always gives the vision to one man, look in scripture, or one woman or a couple, and then great things come out of those people. And what I want to do with you is I want to look at some of Jesus's thinking when it comes to you and me, the church. Remember as we talk today that the church is not a building. Not primarily, at least. It's not a time slot on your calendar. It's not an event you go to. It's you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're the church. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm the church. You do like the church hokey pokey, we're the church. Tell them all, right? Like, remember, church is primarily God's people, okay? And the thinking that Jesus gives us and the thinking he's he's put in these pastors of yours. It's, it's why you are the way you are. It's why you love your church so much. It's why you guys, I just heard you were worshiping louder and rowdier than a 3000 person church that I was in just a few months ago. How crazy is that? But I want to tell you, it's, it's not just crazy, awesome, good-looking pastors and crazy, amazing worship. It's not just those things that make you love your church. I think it's actually what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. Sometimes they're kind of, these things are a little under the surface, so maybe we wouldn't put them on a list of what we love about our church, but I think this is why we actually love our church. Let me read it. Matthew 25, starting verse 31. 
It says, when the son of man comes in his glory, and this is Jesus talking, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates, listen closely, the sheep from the goats. Everybody say sheep and goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What amazing words that we're gonna hear. And then I want you to really clue into this next part. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, and remember, these are the sheep talking back. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, my heart is open. My mind is ready. Teach me, God, by your word. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God one more shout of praise. All right. Okay, let, let's, let's jump in. Isn't it interesting? It's always been interesting to me. I, I didn't grow up in a, a Christian home, wasn't saved till later in high school. And it was always interesting to me to see like the different, I'm gonna call them brands of Christianity. So we had like the Baptists and the Catholics and that was the closest thing I had to church growing up, Catholicism. We had the Methodists, the Pentecostals and, and now we like to mix them up. We got the Bapticostalics and you know, this, all kinds of stuff and the non-denominational and the Pastor Tim Payne church, you know, just, just pure energy, intensity style. Like we got all these different brands. And, and I remember when I was first a Christian, I started wondering which one's right. I bet only one can be right. And I wanted to get to the bottom of which one was right. And I, God took me to this passage as a brand new Christian to teach me Jesus's intent for his church. And remember in the passage, I don't have a lot of time to talk about it today. You can go study it later, but sheep and goats. Let's think about that, okay? Sheep, for the most part, they like to be with the herd and they listen to the shepherd really good. But goats, you ever been around goats? Total opposite. They're the most insane animal in the world. Just bouncing around like many little maniacs. A goat will eat anything, literally anything. And goats are terrible at listening to the shepherd. Okay, now this is the part where you're, you're starting to wonder, am I a sheep or a goat, right? Like, yeah, I better figure that out. And Jesus shows up and he separates them. He says, sheep, awesome, goats, not so much. I'll show you that in a minute. And a lot of people read the part about the nations. They think this passage is about maybe like Russia and America. That's not what it's about. Most theologians agree this is actually about churches, groups of people with a way of thinking that Jesus is referencing. And that he's trying to teach groups of people and he's, and he's separating them based on the analysis of their heart, of their intent, which is supposed to line up, of course, with his heart, his intent, because he's the shepherd, amen? So I wanna show you the intent. Five things, I'm gonna give you five things. We're gonna truck right through that scripture again that we see, and I'm gonna give you sort of an application for each one. If you're ready, say, let's go. All right, verse 35, let's read it again. 
He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. And Jesus is all for this whole little couple verses. I, I, me, me, I, I, me, me. So apparently this whole thing's about Jesus. Apparently Jesus's primary intent for the church is to always only ever be about Jesus. And that's the first thing we gotta acknowledge. We're, we're the jer- church Jesus intended when we're always only ever about Jesus. We worship Jesus, he sacrificed himself for us, he did whatever it took, right? He, he left the throne room in heaven and came down to, to radically rescue us. He, he died for us, he didn't have to, but he died for us, he paid the price for us, and this matters most. And here's the application I wanna give you to kind of just come up under this intent we've got to understand. And that's never make a personal cause more important than the gospel. Now, I didn't say never make a personal cause important. As Christians, we're supposed to be involved all over the world, making all kinds of causes very important, but none of them are more important than the gospel itself. At the end of the day, if you get someone to believe your viewpoint, buy your thing, decide to, to agree with you, you know, on whatever, but, but you didn't get them closer to Jesus, it's not going to matter in heaven. It's not gonna matter in heaven. So that's first. The primary thing we do is we help people go to heaven instead of hell. Plain and simple, not super popular to talk about these days, but that's what we do. We rescue people from the pit of hell. We get them to heaven, amen? All right, verse 37. Let's look at the next one. It says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Everybody say hungry and feed you, or thirsty, everybody say thirsty. thirsty. Okay, thirsty, and give you something to drink. When did we see you? A stranger, everybody say stranger. stranger. And invite you in. So hungry, thirsty strangers are in that verse. Number two, we're the church Jesus intended when we care about the insider. We always care about the insider. But we are, I would say, most concerned with the outsider, with the hungry, thirsty strangers. And remember when the Bible talks about this stuff, it's not just talking about physical needs, physical hunger, physical thirst, you know, the, the emotional need of, of belonging instead of being a stranger. Yes, it's talking about those things, but I'd say even more so, Jesus is talking about the spiritual aspect of those things. Not just physical needs, but, but spiritual needs. And we're the church God intended to be when we feed those who are spiritually hungry, spiritually thirsty, who are strangers to God and need to be introduced to him. This is the heart of Jesus Christ. So oftentimes it's just the gravitational pull of being a Christian, right? For too long. Like, not that you can be a Christian for too long, but if you're not careful, you'll, you'll just fall into this, this gravitational pull where you just kind of worry more about the people who are already being fed. But as a church, our primary focus is to always be on other people. If, if we're not careful, here's another thing that happens. We walk in, we think church is about us. We, we look at the menu in church. All right, what songs are we doing? Like that one, like that one, don't like that one. Like, right? Like, like that sermon point and that sermon point. I'm not sure about that sermon point. And we start to just, if we're not careful, we start to make it all about the insider. But what about that sounds like the heart of Jesus? Nothing that I see anywhere in scripture. At the end of the day, I believe the church, you and I, are called to be people focused on the insider, yes, but never at the expense of growing heaven one life at a time. Never at the expense of the mission, never at the expense of forgetting people that Jesus loves. 
And, and this is like a, a tense topic for some Christians who maybe haven't come to this understanding yet. So, so let me just say this, okay? Does that mean you get overlooked? Absolutely not. Does that mean your pastors don't care about feeding you? Of course not. Everyone gets fed. Jesus said he's the bread of life. The Bible self-defines as spiritual meat. It's like a big, beautiful biblical hamburger, y'all. I'm getting hungry. It's close to dinner, all right? Sorry. And there's enough to go around for everybody. There's enough of the bread of life for you too. Nobody's saying that you're not going to be fed. In fact, think about so much of what your church does. Think about the camps, that's to feed you, the teams, the groups, the systems, the structures. Insiders matter. You are the church, but a healthy insider, a healthy church understands that when the insider starts to care about the outsider and be concerned deep in their heart about the outsider, they're actually being fed the very best spiritual meat there is because caring about the outsider is the most Christ-like thing you can do. It really is. So I just want to challenge you to think about the meat, right? Think about the meat. Ask God to, to break your heart for some people in your life that don't know Jesus. And you know what will happen? It will change them, but it'll change you too. There's nothing like giving your life to Jesus. There's also nothing like seeing your friend that you prayed for give their life to Jesus or your son or your daughter or your neighbor. It's, it's not one or the other. It's, it's both. And being careful to never lose that spiritual battle and forget about the outsider. And, and I love the name of your church so much, right? Love it so much. I love the idea of spiritual momentum. I started thinking about it. I don't even know how you came up with it, but I started coming up with my own ways you might've come up with it. Like the whole goal is people experiencing spiritual momentum with Christ. The, the whole goal is people would have a momentous moment with Jesus, right? That they would meet Jesus, that heaven would grow. So here's your kind of point under this one that just will help us actually live it out. Let's make sure we feed the unfed rather than just fattening ourselves. And I worked hard on that word fattening. I wasn't sure I wanted to go there or not. But I wanted to make sure it still communicated like we got to be careful here. Because you show up at church and your life has changed, but so many people never take it any further than that. You, you give your life to Jesus, but there's so many people that never take it further than that. They never take the next step. They, they never begin the spiritual responsibility of feeding themselves. You realize that, right? That you, at the end of the day, are accountable to God and responsible for your spiritual growth. Do you need help? Yes, every single one of us needs help. That's why we have pastors and friends and fathers and mothers in the faith that have you know, been a part of this kingdom of God longer than us. But at the end of the day, it's your job to grow in your faith, to engage in the mission to feed on the word of God, to open it, read it, study it, know it, do it, live it, to, to decide to be the church. So just want to challenge you. Feed the unfed. Don't just fatten yourself. Is it starting to make sense why you as a church do so much of what you do? Things like Love Week. When you think about it this way, it, within the terms of Jesus's intent for the church, it starts to make so much sense. And listen, if it doesn't make sense, if some of the stuff doesn't make sense to you, like I heard 100 buses, you washed 100 buses. And at first I was like, that's weird. That doesn't make sense, washing school buses. But then I started thinking about the dude that has to wash the school buses. He loves you. That must have, I don't know how you did that in a week. Honestly, like that's amazing to me that you could even wash that many school buses in a week. So I promise you, the stuff you did this week makes sense to the single mom that needed help. Yeah. 
It makes sense to the homeless people that needed help. It makes sense to the couple with a broken marriage or to the prisoners or to the crack addict, to the, Jesus said, least of these. To the least of these. We're concerned about people that don't know Jesus. All right, I gotta keep going. Verse 38, sorry. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? I wanna talk about the clothes. Number three, where the church Jesus intended when we cover the spiritually naked in Christ's righteousness, not in religious rules. And again, we gotta be so careful here. Remember, this isn't just about physical nakedness, people that might need clothing, okay? This is about spiritual nakedness. You, you gotta go back to Adam and Eve to talk about spiritual nakedness. Remember the story, they ate the fruit, immediately what did they feel? Naked. Why? Because they did something bad. For the first time ever, there was sin. They, they broke God's law, so they hid because they felt naked. They even make their own fruit of the loom with fig leaves, right? They knit this stuff together. They start trying to cover themselves up. And when God showed up to go on his daily walk with them, they're hiding. They're hiding. Why are they hiding? Because they feel guilt. They feel shame. And guilt and shame always make you want to hide, right? That's what religion does. Re religion says, you've got to hide the real you. And then you got to do this and this and this and this to, to like earn some spiritual clothing. But that's non-biblical baloney, isn't it? That is not what we see at all in the scriptures. We all know from God's truth that we can't change ourselves all by ourselves. We need Jesus to change. We can't take care of our own sin. Thank God Jesus took care of our sin. So in Genesis 3, Adam is, he's hiding. God says, Adam, why are you hiding? Come out. I want to be in relationship with you because I love you. And then he, what does God do? Y'all remember? He kills an animal to clothe Adam. But it wasn't just about the physical nakedness Adam felt. It was symbolic. It was about the spiritual nakedness. And it was also about our own guilt and shame. It was a foreshadowing, probably the first one in the whole Bible of Jesus and what he was going to do for us on their cross. Because then what does Jesus do when he shows up? He says, God, I'll go to the cross. I'll take their punishment, their sin. I'll die in their place. You can have my righteousness and my perfection and clothe them in it. So religion says you have sin, cover it up. And Jesus says, you have sin. I covered it up. Just accept it. So when you come to church, what you ought to hear, and I'm not telling you this because I'm concerned that you might not hear it at this church. I'm telling you so that hopefully you can help your pastors communicate this to new people that show up at church. What you should hear is this. Jesus just loves you. On your good days and your bad days. On your miserable days and your happy days, Jesus just loves you. He, he loves you when you've got it all together and he loves you when your life is a, just a total mess, right? He loves you exactly as you are. And if you let him, if you open up your heart in his time, in his way, he absolutely will change you. I love how Isaiah 61 says it. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Who clothes us? God does. God does. You don't have to do it because God already did it through Jesus. And all that stuff that you feel like just guilt and shame is all you get from these things and, and you could never cover it up. That's exactly what Jesus came to cover up. So here's your application. All right. Introduce people to Jesus and then let Jesus change people. We, we have to remember, we have to remember that we're a part of the process, but I mean, at the end of the day, we don't actually 
change people's lives. Jesus does that. We're the hands and the feet. This, what did you say, Pastor Tim? The save people that serve people. Love that. Stealing that. Thank you. Right? We're, we're an instrument. We're the hands. We're the feet. God actually does the changing. God actually clothes us and, and covers us. And it's interesting as a pastor, I'm sure you guys have the same experience. You know, I meet with people all the time and I'll give them God's counsel, God's wisdom, and then pray with them. And if they need further help, we'll get them to our counseling partners. But, but I'll always open the Bible and I'll say, let's see what God says about what you're dealing with right now. And here's the interesting thing. 20 years in ministry, I've noticed some people leave and they do what God says. Some people leave and they're goats and they don't do what God says. Now, here's the interesting thing. When people leave and don't do what God says, oftentimes, eventually, they come back to church, but they'll disappear for a season because of the guilt and because of the condemnation and the lies from the devil, right? But they'll circle back around and they'll walk in and the demeanor's always kind of like this, you know? And I really think they're expecting me to condemn them and beat them down and be their religious hall monitor, but that's not my job. It's just my job to be their hope dealer. And so when they show up, I'll just say, hey man, look at Jesus, obey Jesus, follow Jesus, do what Jesus says and Jesus will change you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to build you up. I'll just say, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so, so glad that you came back. Let's look at the next one, verse 39. When did we see you sick? All right, here's number four. We are the church Jesus intended when we patiently help spiritually sick people find healing. When we patiently help spiritually sick people find healing. Think about it. When your kid is sick, what do you do, parents? You you pick them up, you set them on the couch, right? And then you take a couple steps back and you get a bullhorn and you go, why are you so sick? Stop coughing. Is that what you do? course not. That's not what you do, right? What do you do? You, you get your kid and you love on him and you just set them on the couch and you don't even worry about catching what they have because it's your kid and you love them and they're sick and, and you get them what they need and you take them to the doctor and you get them medicine and you'll be very, very patient with them, right? It feels like oftentimes in church, if we're not careful, we're, we're the first parent shouting at those who are spiritually sick. What's wrong with you? Why are you so sick? Why can't you fix this? We're the church Jesus intended when we patiently walk along spiritually sick people that need healing as long as it takes for the great physician to change them. And again, we just deal that hope. That's the medicine, right? I worked in a hospital. When I worked in the hospital, I learned that hospitals can be messy, gross, that they can take, it takes a a long time for people to heal sometimes. I, I learned that sometimes people barely even look like anything's happening for months at a time. And and I learned hospitals can be really uncomfortable. Okay, so if the church is more like a a hospital for those who are spiritually sick, we're gonna have to get messy. And it's not always gonna be comfortable. And sometimes it's gonna take a really frustratingly long time. What do we do? We just patiently help them find healing. Here's your application. We've gotta be comfortably uncomfortable. I love that. Comfortably uncomfortable so that people who need healing can be comforted. There's people in your community, people you work with and live with and live next door to that that need the comfort of Christ. 
And every church says they want to reach people far from God until they start reaching people far from God, right? And then there's cigarette butts in the parking lot or whatever, and somebody's vaping right at the front door, and it's blowing in your face and smells like watermelons. And like, and, and, the, and, and their kids are running around, and you're like, do these people not parent their kids? And the answer is no, they don't. No one's taught them that, okay? Or, or at our church, for a little while, my wife, she thought it'd be nice to put little cute plants in the bathroom, and someone started stealing them every single week. Somebody has a whole garden at their house now, y'all. And it didn't even make me upset because these are the things it takes to truly love people. We've had people put their cocaine and marijuana in the offering bucket. Did it shock me? Yeah, I called the police. I didn't want to touch it. But I was also glad because it's an indicator that there's some spiritually sick people here and that God is doing something. It made me really uncomfortable when those things happen, but they got to happen. Hey, just say this with me. I'm willing to get uncomfortable. Will you say it? I'm willing to get uncomfortable. Okay. I want to flip this one real quick. I'm almost done. All right. Some of you are the sick person we're talking about. Someone here, you're the sick person, someone online, the, the hurting person, the one who feels broken or spiritually confused. Here's what we want to say to you. It's okay. It's okay. It, and as long as it takes, you're welcome here. And, the, and then you're no trouble. You're no trouble. In fact, you're the reason we as God's family and God's church exist. You're always welcome. All right. It says I got four minutes. Verse 39. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Here's number five. We're the church Jesus intended when we free spiritual prisoners. We're in the hotel room a couple nights ago. I was flipping through the channels and the movie Taken was on. Anyone seen Taken? Liam Neeson. I have a special set of skills, right? Like I, I love that movie because if you knew your son or your daughter were taken, you would do whatever it takes. You would use every minute of every day, every dollar, every resource, your time, your knowledge, your talents, your relationships, whatever it took to rescue them. Listen, God has kids who are taken hostage by messed up ways of thinking, by demonic things in our world, by messed up relationships. And we as a church have to refuse to ever settle in our hearts and go, well, that really stinks for them, but I don't have the time. When we do that, we miss the entire point of who we're called to be. God's heart is whatever needs to be done, we would do whatever it takes. So here's your point, and then I'll wrap it up. I said, I said that like four times already, all right? We set captives free. We don't create more captives. We set captives free. How does that look practically? It looks like this. Church needs money. I have some, I'll give it. I'll unleash generosity so the vision can go forward. Church needs some help. I'll, I'll attend a service at a campus and then drive to the other campus the next day and I'll serve at that one right? I have some talent. I'll work with kids and kids ministry, or I'll open a door or come super early and do setup and stay super late and do teardown so that there can be a warm, welcoming environment created for people. And it's no trouble. I'm honored to get to do it. And then check this out. Oh, I need to grow too. I need to also grow too. Okay. I'll open my Bible. 
I'll get real about my faith. I'll step out and lead something. I'll take it seriously. I'll, I'll read God's word. I'll pray. I'll seek God. I'll volunteer. I'll plug in. Why? Because I get the fact that God's kids are pulled away from God's kingdom by Satan. And I'm a part of the local church. The only thing Jesus ever built, the local church, the hands and the feet. It's our job to go Liam Neeson and to rescue people. I hope this maybe shifted your thinking about church just a little bit or, or maybe confirmed it, maybe just made it even stronger. Hope that's what it did for you. And there's so much more in this passage, by the way. We only talked about the sheep. We didn't even get to the goats. You wanna read the freaky stuff? Get to the goats. If we can't understand what Jesus was teaching us here, well, I'm just gonna let Jesus close this message. Can we do that? Let me read the rest of what he said. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. The, the left were the goats. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And they also will answer, it's interesting that the goats like answer back the same as the sheep. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we did not help you. And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just think about your week? Maybe you served at Love Week and you saw God do some really cool stuff. You were at kids camp. You saw children rescued from hell. You're celebrating the purchase of some land. Such an amazing victory. But maybe you opted out. Maybe you weren't generous. Maybe you weren't a part of Love Week. Maybe you didn't get excited about people giving their life to Jesus. What if you began to live like Jesus encourages us to live and think the way he encourages us to think about who we are called to be in these simple words he shared with us? And what if you saw these things as the primary way that we glorify God as Christians and as his church? You, you know what would happen? I do, because I've seen it. The people you know and love who are far from God would come to know Jesus as their savior. And it might not happen instantly, but the spiritually hungry, thirsty strangers that you know, I bet they'd come to a church full of people like we just learned about. And so heavenly father, help us to be the church you intended for us to be. God, we don't wanna be goats with our own ideas, with our own thoughts about what the church is and who we are. We just want to be right on track with your mission. Saved people that serve people, loved people that love people, found people that find people, changed people that change people. We want to live by your principles and precepts wholeheartedly, God, so that we can grow closer to you and be more like you and a better reflection of who you are, but even more so, so that heaven can grow. And as you think about that and talk to God about that, listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Every single thing you just heard this church celebrate was all about you 
It's about how much they love you, care about you, the, the willingness in their hearts to do whatever it takes to see you in heaven with them forever. The only thing we take to eternity is people that know Jesus. Nothing else goes. And maybe after seeing a church full of such passion and such willingness to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to do whatever it takes to love you, maybe you're ready to take that step. Here's how you do it. The Bible says if you'll simply believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the dead, you don't have to be able to explain it or fully understand it if you're just willing to believe by faith. God raised Jesus up from the dead, and if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You don't have to worry about all the other stuff. God's going to get to it. All you got to worry about right now is have you ever made the decision of your own free will to follow Jesus? If not, why not? We believe right now is your moment. If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. In fact, let's all pray it together out loud so no one stands alone. And I'm going to ask you to just publicly share that by raising your hand. Let's pray like this. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Jesus is Lord, Savior, leader, and friend. I repent from my sin. And I turn to you, God. Make me a brand new person in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. I'm going to count to three, and if that was you, would you just put your hand up? One, because God loves you. Two, Jesus made a way where we can never make a way. Three, put your hand up if that was you. Let us know online. We're celebrating. Amen.